Well, the ocean water was a chilly 68 degrees today, uh, Fahrenheit, that is, until this sexpert jumped in and it sizzled right up to 69 degrees Fahrenheit. I expect things to heat up here tonight on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. Wow. Sex has been all over the news this week with the giant leap forward for the possible approval of a little pink pill for women's sexual desire in the U.S. alone, I might add. And also with the HPV vaccine, which is now available to cover nine strains because 90% of cervical cancers are caused by one of the nine HPV strains. We are fatter than we thought. The results are out. How does that impact your sexuality and your performance in the bedroom? Also, your erectile function. And what do women want from men? Marcella Bernardo and I had a conversation today about that, and to that end, I'm going to talk about exactly what it is women want in the bedroom. I'll tell you right now, it's confidence and creativity, and I'm going to give you a little bird's-eye view into what that looks like and what that feels like. But to start out the evening, I am honored to have on the line with me Dr. Lori Brado. She's an associate professor in the Department of Obstetri- Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of British Columbia. She is a registered psychologist who conducts research on women's sexual health and difficulties She develops tests and psychoeducational interventions for women with sexual desire and arousal complaints. That's just a little bit of what she does. She's a colleague of mine. She's on the line. Hello, Dr. Brado. Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? And thanks for joining me from Ottawa. Not a a problem. (laughs) That's great. So you wrote a fabulous article in the Globe and Mail about the uh, uh, quote-unquote female Viagra, which I know the uh, professionals don't like to... term it that because it doesn't work in any way in the same as the uh, little blue pill Viagra for men it works on the neurotransmitters so uh, but there were great strides if you will uh, in women's sexuality so what do you think about the approval or the close to approval of this medication yeah, so, um, you know, as you know, Maureen, there's been a very long-standing race ever since Viagra was approved in men to try and find um, some kind of a medication that would address the very, very high rates of sexual difficulties in women, in particular women who've lost their desire. And this isn't the first time that phlebanserin has gone to the FDA with um, its, its data. This is the, the third time, the first two times, the FDA rejected the application on the basis of um, not being that impressed with the efficacy compared to the placebo group and also some concerns about the side effects and the safety. But the the, the makers or the, the owners, Sprout Pharmaceutical, really went back and did their homework. They recruited data on 11,000 women. Mm-hmm. Um, they provided uh, a whole, whole new set of analyses. And the advisory panel to the FDA voted in favor. Now, we, we should mention that this is just an advisory panel. This is not the FDA making a conclusion uh, to whether to approve or not. But in the past, the FDA has tended to take the recommendations of such advisory boards really quite seriously. So I think it's um, I think we are looking at the possibility of phlebanserin being approved, at least in the United States, come come August. Absolutely. Um, what do you think this, uh, there's been a lot of controversy around the approval of this medication. Sprout Pharmaceuticals went to this advisory board. Uh, they, they pulled together the Even the Score campaign. They claimed sexism, misogynism, uh, favoritism. There were so many aspects that they accused the FDA advisory board of. 
why they would not approve a medication for women's low sexual desire when there are 26 medications for men, not necessarily for low sexual desire, but for male sexual function. A lot of them are testosterone-based. But what do you think of their arguments that that women deserve this treatment option? I I think um, the the bottom line that women do deserve options to address this this difficulty is a very valid criticism. And yes, to be fair, there are 26 other medications approved for men's sexual difficulties. And so the criticism, as you mentioned, was a combination of the FDA being sexist, they're not taking women's concerns seriously, they're holding the approval of this medication for women to a much higher bar than they are for men. But um, as we heard, or those of us who listened in to the the full day of hearings on Thursday morning, uh, the the chair of the FDA panel really confronted this criticism head on and opened up the day by saying, you know, the FDA makes its decisions on the basis of, number one, does a medication work? Number two, is it safe and not on the basis of, of gender? So they certainly did not feel that that was a valid criticism and really came down quite heavily against it. Um, but but one also- of the things, Lori, is um, like some of the side effects of phlebanserin are dizziness, lightheadedness, sleepiness. Um, but some of the side effects for some of the Male sexual function drugs are penile rupture, for example, hypotension, which will may knock somebody, especially an older man, to the ground. Yeah. Um, so how can they, I mean, that's all well and good that they can say that, but it doesn't appear that way when you look at it from that perspective. Yeah, and I, I think ultimately that probably contributed to the advisory board voting in favor of it. And one of the, you know, one of the very passionate um, testimonials that one of the speakers gave was, you know, you're not approving a medication that could really fundamentally change the quality of life of, of some women on the basis of what they might faint. And, you know, we have to keep in mind when these studies are done that, that these kinds of side effect profiles are based on large, large summaries of women. And so there will be some women who have absolutely no side effects, but mm-hmm. then there will be other women who experience quite significant side effects. And so, you know, we, we just, I think the FDA is just trying to make the best concern outweighing the, the, uh, the benefits, outweighing the risks associated with it. Exactly. And the other thing is that they have also advised the FDA put a program in place that physicians are trained specific, you know, in a specialty way uh, to educate the women about this medication and also to see them every three months, to do a reevaluation every three months. And it's a little, it comes across as a little patronizing to women. Again, women can't make their own decisions. We need to take care of women. And, but also some women uh, actually supported some of these arguments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the, absolutely. And I think at the, at the end of the day, it's going to be very difficult to regulate physicians in that way, because as we all know, there's a fair bit of off-label prescribing. What that means is prescribing for uh, a particular patient or a certain indication for which the medication is not approved. So phlebanserin was tested in premenopausal women, but I think we're going to be hard-pressed to, to, to find physicians who are not also prescribing this for, for postmenopausal women. And, you know, again, I think we need to keep in mind part of the function of the FDA is to take these significant safety risks in, in, into consideration. Some of the side effects were not tested uh, in the long term. Uh, and, for example, the interaction with alcohol, the study was only based on 
a sample of about 30, and most of those were men. There were only two women. And so that's going to be one of the recommendations is that women be prescribed this medication and, and be told quite you know, rather strictly that it not be interacted with, with alcohol at all until sufficient studies have been done looking at the interactions of phlebanserin with alcohol. And I can see that because women react very differently to alcohol and they metabolize alcohol very differently than men do. So why that's they right. tested phlebanserin on and alcohol on men, I'm not so sure, but I'm sure a lot of men signed up for that study rather quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, this also, I, I see this, and one of the problems I see around this potential approval is that doctors have often GPs, and I don't know if they're going to say only specialty physicians, OBGYNs, or you know, uh, psychotherapists, or whatever uh, particular specialties can prescribe or advise to prescribe this medication. Doctors give patients 10 minutes in one problem. Mm-hmm. Doctors like to, they don't have the time. They don't have the time, time to deal with bladder issues. They don't have the time to deal with some socio, you know, family issues. Mm-hmm. How are they going to have the time to educate around low sexual desire in women? They're just going to, you know, one of the criticisms of GPs is just to write a prescription, write a prescription. Right. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And we know that when women have sexual concerns, they tend to talk to their GPs first. You know, they, they would see a sex therapist sort of as a last resort. Right. They tend to talk to their GP, possibly another physician like an OBGYN or a urologist. Um, and that's going to be one of the things that is, is, I think, going to be the next focus, which is just how is this patient certification and training and ongoing follow-up going to roll out what it's going to look what is it going to look like exactly but I think if 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 Sprout and the FDA and eventually Health Canada in in Canada our regulatory board can iron this out it might set a precedent for future medications for the treatment of other kinds of women's sexual difficulties exactly and so many medications should not be taken with alcohol and yet so many people do especially people with depression uh, you should not mix alcohol with that, and, and they, they cannot expect an antidepressant to work uh, if people are taking alcohol. So this may be the same if people if women are drinking and they're taking the medication, it's not working. Um, yes, know. and yet on the other hand, I know certainly many of my uh, women patients tell me that that's a time where they might feel a little bit more in the mood. You know, exactly. After they've had a few drinks and after some of, you know, they've dealt with some of the stress and, and they've been able to relax and unwind. And so to now um, completely uh, outlaw the use of alcohol in the, in the face of this medication, it's going to be one of those tricky things that I think that the, uh, the regulatory boards are going to have to grapple with. It is. And when do you think it will come to Canada? How long do you think that process would take? Well, if we, if we look at Viagra, it took a year. So it was okay. approved in 98 in the United States and one year later in Canada. So, so for my, women, we're looking at a decade then? No. Well, you know, I, I actually think it's going to be the opposite. I think that there's been such a, a long wait for this that my, my guess is that things that, that the process will probably be expedited. Right, yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brado. It's been, uh, as we've all been working in the field of low sexual desire for a long time, and we must say there are many, many other reasons for low sexual desire um, than what is necessarily going on in the brain. There are things that are going on in women's lives. That's right. I think sex therapists uh, don't need to feel that their work is going to be threatened. I think that they will continue to be as busy as always, even with phlebanserin. And, you know, I think that there's going to be a potential opportunity for physicians and sex therapists to collaborate and address that question of, you know, are there opportunities to combine therapy with this medication? Absolutely. I actually think that they're going to be busier because this has raised awareness about female sexuality and low sexual desire, interest, arousal, Disorders, and I actually think people are going to say, hey, this is an issue for me. Certainly I find that in my presentations, women will approach me and they'll say, well, I'm glad to find out I'm normal because 
th- three quarters of the room will say they have low sexual desire, you know, that have been in a, you know, they're in the 30s and they've been married for 10 years or something. And I think normal, you know, let's, we need to reframe that. That's not necessarily normal. You know, it's common, but not normal. Exactly. That's yes, right. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brado. And I look forward to the days ahead around uh, female sexual desire. And thanks for all your great work. Thanks a lot, Maureen. Take care now. Bye-bye. You're very welcome. Well, the low sexual desire pill or the pink Viagra, uh, what it has been, has come to be known as, uh, works on the neurotransmitters, unlike its country cousin Viagra, which works on blood flow. So to that end, Dr. Jim Faust, who's a professor of neuroscience and psychology at Concordia University in Montreal, will be joining me in the next segment to talk about how this medication works, and is the brain actually the biggest sex organ? I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm a lady, too. I'm Maureen McGrath. I'm your host of the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Thanks for staying with me. Tonight, we're talking a lot about sex and low sexual desire in women and the brain and other contributing factors to low sexual desire uh, you can give us a call, give me a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell, or you can uh, call my guests. Uh, right now on the line, I have Dr. Jim Faust. He's a professor of neuroscience and psychology at Concordia University in Montreal. Hello, Dr. Faust. Hey, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good. Good. So we're talking about the pink Viagra. I really hate to call it that because it's a misnomer because it works on the neurotransmitters versus on the blood flow, like the real Viagra works. So, But you know what? The world is going to come to know it as the pink Viagra or the little pink pill. So you're uh, you're a neuroscientist and psychologist, uh, and you're with an interest in female sexual desire. And I really wanted to hear a a man's opinion who understands how the brain works and how the neurotransmitters work uh, to weigh in on this. So I know you feel pretty passionate uh, and in a positive way (laughs) that this medication is that much closer to uh, getting approval by the FDA. Well, it's actually kind of funny because all the drugs that are right now in clinical trials have actually come through my lab and been tested in female rats. Wow. Well, rats aren't people. It's, you know, the, uh, the neurochemical systems that underlie things like desire and arousal, especially, you know, the way the brain controls them and the way the brain interprets the kind of stimulation that you get when you're having sex are exactly the same and have been conserved across many, many millions of evolutionary years. So it's, it's, it's very interesting that, you know, from the standpoint of the rat, it shows virtually identical activity. I mean, rats solicit sex a little bit differently. They kind of go up to a male and kick him in the face and run away. And Don't we and, do that? No. Well, we kind of, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think we grow out of that maybe and flirt a little bit more, you know, surreptitiously. But nonetheless, when female rats do that and you have a drug that activates that specifically, and flubanserin does do that, it does it, you know, I wouldn't say it's a huge effect relative to other drugs that are in clinical trials, but it certainly does that. And in a mild way, you're saying then? In in a a milder way. Okay. You know, it's not a blow your socks off. Let's do the football team kind of drug. Right. I I think it's much more, you know, restoring something that might be a little bit still inhibited, in the sense that. Again, you're not going to be wild with passion, but you're right. still going to want it as opposed to not want it. And that's really what 
what happened in our rats, and certainly that seems to be the take-home message from all of the clinical trials that they've had. And so you mentioned inhibition, or that area of the brain is inhibited. So imagine that when you're, you know, if you think about one thing and concentrate on it, you've got to be inhibiting everything else around you. So if you're really focused, you have to focus out other things. And that's really what your frontal lobe does. Your frontal lobe is sort of the seat of what we call executive function. And this is really largely driven by serotonin, the neurotransmitter serotonin. So when you have enough of it, you can do all sorts of wonderful things and toggle and you know, right. multitask and do great work. But when you have too much of it, you're quite often inhibited. And imagine someone who's you know, having sex and trying to get into it and really trying to get into it. But, you know, the chipping pain on the ceiling is really, really bothering her. And it's not because the person she's having sex with is necessarily, you know, a terrible lover or simply isn't arousing her enough. It's, it's that she's really distracted. And I think distraction is one of the ways that inhibition comes to the fore. I mean, I mean, Dr. Brado, who you had on before, has done a lot of work with mindfulness therapy, you know, trying to get people in the moment and thinking, focusing now, refocusing on sexuality and on what they're feeling and doing as opposed to, you know, how many soccer matches we have coming up next week. And I think when that fails to work, it's because the brain is really kind of nervous and anxious and inhibited with regard to letting go. It's very, very hard to have sex when you can't let go. Absolutely. So today we have this syndrome called the rushing woman syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it's busy, busy, busy from, you know, dawn till dusk. And they can do the, you know, the pack meetings. They can do the kids. They can work outside of the home. They can take care of their parents. They can volunteer, go out for dinner with friends, and they can they come home and they can't have sex with their husbands. <laughs> right, right. Well, right, we don't I mean, make good time for that either, right? I mean, we make time to eat and, you right. know, sometimes even play guitar, but we don't make time to have sex. No. Right? Because, you know, once you're living with somebody, once you're married, whatever, it's now it's easy. You don't have to work for it anymore. And the working for it is the other system. That's the exciting excitation system. And that system is driven by dopamine. It's driven by you know, melanocortins, which are things that actually end up driving dopamine and sort of the more emotional and regulatory parts of the brain. And, you know, when you're excited, that can actually overcome inhibition. I mean, you know, think of being naughty, for example, as in doing something that, ooh, we might get caught, ooh. And so you, you really are amping that excitation, and that can quite often dampen the inhibition. So either you've got too much inhibition or too little excitation. And, and I, I can easily imagine that, you know, you know, we talk about phlebanser not necessarily being for everyone. It may not be for postmenopausal women. It may be for a certain subset of premenopausal women. But imagine that you have a group that really have too much inhibition. That may be the group that phlebanser is for. It may not work in people that don't have too much inhibition but just don't have enough excitation. Right. And that probably contributes a little bit to infidelity, would you say? Sure. That uh, gets th- that gets that excitation system going, and therefore somebody may not be attracted for the moment to somebody that they're lying next to, but somebody else that they're sexting, that might raise things oh, for them sure. and raise things for them back in their own bedroom. Does that make well, any and, sense? And, 
Well, absolutely, and because yeah, I mean, this is how role playing works so well, right? That you can actually think of this person that you've been having sex with for the past sixteen years as somebody who's a new lover, right? In your mind. And in your mind, yes. and it's your mind because it's also your brain. You know, it's. I mean, we talk about situations, and we talk about things like priming cues and having, you know, competent priming cues. You know, are you doing me the right way? But really, your brain is interpreting all this stuff and saying, nope, nope, not good, not. Oh, ooh, what was that? You know, and now all of a sudden it's different. And so I think that when you have those little aha sexual moments, you you kind of learn a bit more about yourself, and you and and if you don't do it, you know, don't try to recreate it. Because that's just going to tolerate. Oh, let's do exactly the same thing that we did last night, tonight. Gee, you know, don't we get tired of chocolate ice cream every night? Maybe switch it up to vanilla, switch it up to strawberry. Now, how do you do that without, you know, taking on a different lover? Well, easy. You, you know, I'm sure you know. You tell people, you know, don't do it in the bedroom at the same time every Friday night. Do it in the kitchen. Do it in the, you know, on the washing machine. Try different things with each other. The and phone boards are going to be lighting up with doing it on the washing machine. <laughs> well, I mean, no. you know, it exactly. doesn't have to work for you, right? So, but this but, is probably um, what Fifty Shades of Grey did for a lot of women. Oh, I think so. I think, you know, some women read that and went, whoa, I can do that? Yeah, exactly. You know? Can you, can, we're going to go to break, uh, Jim. Can you hang on the line? We'll just sure, uh, carry sure. on on this a little bit more and find out sure. some more uh how we can shake things up in the bedroom. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath, host of the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. If you're just joining me now, we're talking about low sexual desire in women. If you are, have remained with me, thanks for hanging with me. Uh, just a little, I have Jim Faust on the line with me. He's a professor of neuroscience and psychology at Concordia University, and he does a lot of the... Um, laboratory experience, experiments for these medications that eventually get to uh, FDA, for example, to get approved. Um, I wanted to mention, hey, Jim, you still there? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, when I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I feel like this has been a bit of a miracle <laughs> getting to this stage. I worked on those flibanserin trials as okay. well in 2008, 2009, and we, I put an ad in the Vancouver Sun, not a full-page ad, like a 10th-page you know, ad, and I was running two sites, one at the BC Center for Sexual Medicine and one over in, on the North Shore. And uh, I got 500 phone calls from, <laughs> <laughs> from women who said the, the line that I remember, so it must have been very you know, common, was, this ad spoke to me. You spoke yeah. to me. Yeah. It was something they all said they felt. They didn't have anybody to talk to. They didn't know there was a name for this. They were wondering about it. They had been confused. Um, so I knew it was a topical subject. And when I was asked at, at the same time to be a guest on a business and politics show <laughs> and talk about some health subject, I chose hypoactive sexual desire disorder in women. And that, that is actually, after I had that, it was a very didactic interview. And, but after that, the host said... You're our sex expert. I want you to come back next month. Uh-huh. We're going to be talking about this. You know, this is an important subject. And that was really how I got my start in radio. 
I barely turned on the radio prior to that. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yes. And so you know, here it is yeah. six years later, seven years later, and I'm still talking about low sexual desire in women on the radio, at presentations, at you know, to groups of 200 women, women in Toronto, women in Calgary, women in Vancouver, Kelowna, all over. And it's, I think, my sense is it's higher than 10%. Well, I mean, it's also going to be in varying degrees, right? Because, you know, if you, you know, if what you know about sex is, you know, excuse the phrase, but spreading your legs and thinking of England, this is not you as a sexually competent individual feeling that your body works for you, that your body can give you pleasure, that you own your pleasure and your body and the way that it works. And, I mean, we don't teach people this. We, we don't, don't. You know, I mean, well, when, when they need it. I mean, after the fact... And you that's know, what I'm trying to do, quite honestly. Divorced, you can say, okay, fine, now I'm going to go hog wild. But it's like, you know, you look back and you think with, you know, utter dread, it must be to realize the, the undone years. And if you think your body's broken, then what, I mean, what do you have? Exactly, exactly. And that, that's seriously the, my intent for this program is to raise awareness and educate about a sexual yeah. health issue so people don't feel crazy or they don't feel like there's something wrong with them, that there, there are, you know, that one needs to feel pleasure. It's healthy to feel pleasure for women Absolutely. And, and that women can enjoy sex. And we almost pretend that women don't have sex by assuming that only men have affairs, number one. We never really talk about sexuality and sex and activities in the bedroom around women. Men have this bravado. They are fabulous. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they, well, are, they perform. We have two, imagine we have two four-letter words that both start with an S to talk about people that have lots of sex. Exactly. You know, one, the one for men is very positive, and the one for women is really negative. Exactly. And, you know, that just shows you. I mean, culture imposes this like a sledgehammer. When you start becoming a sexual individual, and you're a woman, and you, you know, somehow are incorporating this into you as, oh, my God, if I feel this way, I'm going to be shamed. Exactly. And, and, you know, I hear women, they'll say, well, you know, she was a slut in high school. And I say, right. what, what do you mean? I, there's no, I don't have that word in my dictionary. There, there's no way uh, a woman who enjoys sex, so we're going to, you know, I mean, we're going to call her a name uh, because she understands it. She gets it. You know, <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean, it's so ridiculous. No pun intended. Yes. I, I actually at, have. If, if you oh. look at rats, female rats don't grow up in a culture where there's any slut word. And they don't get shamed. When they want it, they go and get it. And there's no question. You know, if one male is like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, she's just going to go find another. Exactly. I, I have so, Jay on the line, uh, Dr. Faust. Sure. Uh, from Abbotsford. Hello, Jay? Hello, Hello there. Hello there. Is that Jay? Hey, listen, um, you know, there, there seems to be an awful bias there. You know, they, the, the males to... Uh, get any uh, help uh, with uh, sexual dysfunction, et cetera, it costs them about 100 bucks a month. So it isn't just the females that are uh, are being picked on. Uh, you know, it, it's a universal problem. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's very expensive. You're, you're referring to the cost of the PD-5 inhibitors or the Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, Staxin medications? Testosterone or testosterone, it doesn't or, matter which one. Or testosterone or any one of them, absolutely. They have been approved. I mean, it's, it's a little bit different. Both men and women, 
and you can weigh in on this, Dr. Faust. Um, there are lifestyle modifications they can make to improve blood flow, to decrease their busyness, to make sex a, an important aspect of their life, to lose weight, to stop eating sugar, which damages the endothelium in the arteries. I would love for you to talk to that, Dr. Faust. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, anything that you can do to get their, to get the blood moving is really good because when you damage blood vessels, blood can't move efficiently. And if people, I, I know you're going to talk about this later in terms of diet, if, if people are overweight and hypertensive, blood, you know, really is going to surround the interior of the body rather than the extremities. And that's, you know, one of the things you're going to feel is that your fingers are cold all the time. Well, it's because blood's not moving where it needs to go. It's simply going to stay in the core to protect your core. And part of the problem with it not moving where it needs to go if you're a man and you have a penis is that it's not going to go into the penis properly. So you're not going to either get an erection or if you do get it, it's not going to be full and you're not going to be able to sustain it. And anything you, you can do health-wise to adjust your diet, work out, get the blood flowing is going to keep it flowing. And you know what? It can keep flowing until you're 90. Exactly. It can keep flowing until the day you die. It, there's, a, there's, there's no given that, oh, well, you know, I'm 50, it's time to start learning to play golf, because you could be having sex on the <laughs> golf course rather than hitting a four iron. You that know? sounds so like fun. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. And, you know, people, they automatically go to the medications. And that's another aspect of this show, hopefully, is that it's not necessarily, a, you know, a popping one pill that is going to change your life. Sometimes it takes discipline, it takes conviction, it takes edu education and understanding and awareness to actually make those changes so that your life can be better and you can have great sex and that will improve your mood, sleep, pain, yeah. blood pressure. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting if you're a guy. Now, you know, when Viagra came out, people thought, oh, look at that. You know, Pfizer made $650 million in the first quarter it was out. Wow, all the men in the world are going to take this. You know, it's interesting. About 15% take it who have erectile dysfunction. That's right. And that 15% do so not because they have a problem with their penis. They do so because their partners have a problem with their penis. And their partners are prompting them to go, please see a doctor, please go, go now. Oh, look, you have an appointment. You know, and they go. And get it treated, and you know what? If you're in your 40s, you're a male in your 40s, and you get your, your erectile dysfunction treated, you are looking at a 70% decrease in the probability of having a heart attack in your 50s. And the reason for that is not just because blood's flowing to your penis, it's mm -hmm. because you're actually, now that you're sexually functional again, you go to the gym, you start working out, you want to look better, you want you know, your six-pack abs back, you want to not be the couch potato watching the game from, you know, from your seat, you want to be out playing the game. And so guys do this and suddenly they're getting healthy that's because exact, they're sexual. That's exactly right. I mean, we can right. never, never undervalue the role of sex in our lives because it's a real clincher for self-esteem. My, my sentiments exactly and in, in the foundation of this show, quite frankly. Dr. Jim Faust, I've loved having you. <laughs> I thank you for all of your support <laughs> around no, no female sexuality. Oh, you're welcome. We'll have to have you back. So I really sure. appreciate um, your, your input and uh, that little lab uh, analogy there with the rats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you right, so much. Care. You too. Bye -bye. Have a great evening. Okay. So when I come back, 
Cervical cancer is a big issue, and the HPV vaccine has been controversial as well. People have not been wanting to take that. But you know what? I recommend that for a lot of girls, boys, men, and women. So hear more about that when I return. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I love that song. Room at the Top of the World. Tom Petty. I'm Maureen McGrath. That is such a romantic song. Do you think, Luke? (laughs) I love Tom. I'm sorry. I love that song so much, and it's so romantic, and people may not think that, but just the melody and the words, and it's soft, and it just, anyway, sets my heart aflutter. By the way, Luke, thanks for your technical production tonight. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. Always important. (laughs) Here on The Sex Show, I'm Maureen McGrath. Thanks for listening. Talking about lots of... uh, heart-fluttering subjects tonight. Uh, This afternoon, I had a conversation with Marcella Bernardo. She wanted to talk about why Fifty Shades was such an important trilogy and such an important book and movie, and it made billions of dollars, and it raised awareness about women's sexuality. And one thing, she wondered why there was so much appeal for the character Christian Grey, aside from the fact that he was handsome and wealthy and had a six-pack ab and, you know... (laughs) All of that. Um, Powerful. That helps. That sure does. (laughs) Show's over. Anyway, no. (laughs) Um, So, but I said because he had two things that were really important in a man, I think. And what, what, so what do women want? And I believe women want a confident man and a creative man. (laughs) And confidence is key. And you know what? Even if you don't feel that confident, Fake it. Fake it until you make it because you can become confident. The brain is, again, the most powerful sex organ, and it's using your brain. Uh, But there are some other ways that you can gain confidence in the bedroom because it is of the utmost importance. So masturbation. I've talked a lot about this. I get a lot of questions around how much is too much, how many... um, how many times should they be masturbating? Um, and as long as you are not, it's not impacting your, your life, um, it's fine. So self-exploration is the best way to figure out exactly what kind of stuff you can handle in the bedroom. If you don't have any confidence because you don't think you can last long enough in the sack, you can experiment on yourself. Pay attention the next time you, as they say, I'm not going to say <laughs> Joke the chicken. Visit the bishop. Whatever. Um, Make note of the more sensitive areas and take this newfound knowledge and apply it back to the bedroom. So you want to stay away from positions that get you too excited too fast. I had a patient this week. She happened to be having an affair with a married man and who was having erectile dysfunction. He was around 50. So to be expected, As you heard, he's going to decrease his risk of cardiovascular disease and heart attack if he goes on Viagra. But he also had premature ejaculation. So this was not a pleasurable relationship. But one question I asked was, was he married? And yes, in fact, he was. So there was a new lover, as she deemed it for her. So that's going to put some anxiety in there. I'm not promoting that in any way, but there are many, many reasons um, for premature ejaculation. So one reason is positions that get you really excited really quickly. So you want to just stay away from that. Um, 
And so stick to the positions that you excel at, that you can actually attain that erection. Do your prep work. Understand that the importance of foreplay uh, is vital in a healthy and satisfying and pleasurable sex life. It's, It's not just like preparing the runway for your jet to land. It's the time to fully explore her body. Take that time. It's the time for you to find out how to stimulate your partner with things other than your penis, perhaps. It's fondle. It's caressing. um, It's knowing and feeling every nook and cranny on her body. And also um, oral sex. Women do enjoy oral sex. So if you have not explored her, Um, with oral sex, it's maybe the time. Uh, So that's a way doing it over and over or maybe slowly. You can develop confidence um, using another aspect of your body other than your penis, and that will elevate your level of confidence. This is something that a lot of guys are going to have a little hard time with, listening to your woman. Um, you, you, You do have to listen to what is pleasurable for her? So you want to take that time, and you also want to look and listen as well and see how your woman is responding. Pay attention to that. Make sure there's time for this. And also make it your business to be creative. If you really want to turn your lover on every time, strengthen your bedroom, strengthening that bedroom con- confidence can be creative. But you want to be adventurous The excitement alone from trying new things is enough to get you hot, most people. So make it your business to figure out as many new and exciting ways as possible to uh, get things on. She will love it. So asking her about these things, suggesting some different play in the bedroom, looking at some of the sex toys that are available, using them, perhaps getting to know them before you actually bring them in the bedroom so you know how to turn them on, for example, the couple's vibe for example, is another way. So there are lots uh, to do that. We have about just a few minutes. I did say I wanted to talk about this very important subject, um, preventing cancer in a single shot or three shots. There, there's been much ado about the HPV vaccine, which is the treatment of the human papillomavirus, which is responsible for about 80% of cervical cancers. Well, many of the regulatory and professional societies like the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada, the Society of Gynecological Oncology of Canada have confirmed that the Gardasil vaccine, which is based on very extensive evidence, is safe and remains one of the recommended actions for the prevention of cervical cancer and other HPV-associated diseases like head and neck cancers, which are becoming more common in white heterosexual men today, especially because so many people do not use protection, so they're not practicing safe sex. Well, there is a new Gardasil vaccine out. It's called Gardasil 9, and it actually works on the cervical cancers that are caused by one of the nine HPV strains. So there's 6, 11, 16, 18, 31, 33, 45, 52, and 58 And so this is a nine-valent, so it covers nine different viruses. Initially, it was a quadrivalent, so it covered only four HPV strains. So we need to give these uh, vaccines to girls and boys, I believe, although it's only covered in British Columbia for girls. And also, as uh, women find themselves single and they're out in the dating game, they need to actually get the HPV vaccine. And it's been studied in 
clinical trials for women up until about the age of the mid-40s and probably, I think, around mid-30s for men. So I believe it's three or 400 bucks. It's three shots over a few months. It's well worth it because we can now prevent 90% of cervical cancers caused by HPV. And this is an incredible advancement in healthcare for women and a milestone in the fight against one cancer that used to be the leading cause of cancer death for women in, the, in Canada. So the burden of this disease has decreased significantly because of the cervical cancer uh, pap smears, the screening, uh, the pap smears, which could predict or detect cancer before it occurred. But now that burden has decreased that much more because of the worldwide adoption of the HPV vaccine, vaccination. So ask your doctor about HPV-9 for your daughters, for your sons. If you're men in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you're newly single, ask about it. It's a conversation you need to have. When I come back, we're going to wrap up this program. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Act. Time to wrap up this sex show. Uh, you know, I can't help but think how far we've come. The, the line, we've come a long way, baby, comes to mind when I think about female sexual desire. It's how I got into the media and uh, with the possible uh, approval by the FDA of the little pink pill for female sexual desire uh, makes me think that women have made some progress uh, in the world. And I believe I speak for many women when I say the capacity for sexual desire is an important part of my sexuality, who I am as a woman, and very much tied to what I would consider one of the most joyous parts of my life. If I were to lose desire, as I see so many women in my clinical practice do, I would not hesitate to pop that little pill. That's my little input on that. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's an important health subject, and I hope we continue the conversation and make the advancements in women's health. And I certainly will work when I'm not doing media, <laughs> which is just three or four times a week generally only. I, I do a lot of work in terms of research and advocacy and education, so I will continue to work on this subject, which is a passion of mine. Um, I want to mention my website, new and improving all the time. And if you are interested in making yourself eat a better diet, a healthier diet, there is a plant-based diet on there at www.backtothebedroom.ca that that has been contributed by Edward Lippert. He is a food scientist, and uh, so he uh, forwarded that to me, and I posted it on my website because I think it's important information. And I think it's important information that we remain trim and keep that blood flowing no matter how that has to happen so you can have the best sex ever. Don't forget... The mind, the brain is the biggest sex organ, and to that end, just being mindful and picturing your genitalia, that's what that means. It means being in the moment. It means being thinking about your genitalia and the blood flowing to it and maybe fantasizing about somebody else. And nothing's better for that than V-Love, which is a sexual desire gel and lubricant. A lot of women stop having sex or have low sexual desire because they have painful sex, because they have vaginal dryness, whether it be after a pregnancy, during breastfeeding, while they're on the oral contraceptive pill, during perimenopause, menopause, it can occur at any time in a woman's life. So V-Love, it's available at Loblaws, and it's actually going to be available at some other fine retailers, and I'll be announcing that soon. Uh, So where's Maureen going to be in the next uh, few weeks? So uh, I've got a few more talks to do. This is my busy season. I do private events, and I actually have a few private events. That doesn't sound too good as a sex expert. But anyway, I speak to business people, and um, I'm invited in to talk to them about sexuality and sexual health and, and stress management and 
have sex, reduce stress. Um, and also to physicians, I educate physicians about sexuality and sexual health. But to the public, I speak as well. And I'm going to be at the Maple Ridge Senior Center on June 10th. This is That's this week, Wednesday. Oh, my gosh, that's coming up. In the afternoon at 1 o'clock, the Cloverdale Fairgrounds, where I'm going to be in full cowgirl mode on June 27th at 1 p.m. in Shannon Hall. Anyway, you can always visit my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. You can email me at sextalk at cknw.com. I love your emails, so keep them coming. I didn't get a chance to get to them tonight, but next week we will do that. Next week I have a matchmaker coming on the show. Annie Cranfield of the Matchmaker Club uh, is going to tell you how to find your best match. Please, you can tweet me at back, the number two, the bedroom. Uh, you can also request a confirm friend on Facebook or join me on LinkedIn. Anyway, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath. You've been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.